hello, this is Notes from the Back Row, a podcast like no other, different themes, rotating hosts, and so much more. So strap in for a veritable cinematic Coney Island of the mind. Hello and welcome to Notes from the Back Row. This is Jenna Ipkar, your sports commentator. This is just <laughs> what I sound like normally. Hey, hey, hey. And I'm here with Veronica. Hello. And I'll stop talking like that. Um, <laughs> no, you should do that for the whole podcast. For the entire podcast. <laughs> um, I want to talk about something near and dear to us real quick, just off the top of my head. Patreon. What what a bunch of guys. And by guys, I mean like non-binary all gender right. people that we love. We love all of those people and they help support this site. They make this site possible. They just sure like do. They say on PBS and we do really appreciate you guys so much. I know this has been a little bit of a weird year for us. Uh we're trying our best to get uh, stuff out we're, we're kind of changing our model i think a little bit but either way at the end of the year you guys are going to get a really sweet swag box and for anyone listening in this like whoa what patreon.com slash back row cine blog or if you go to back dash row.com you can hit the link for the patreon at the bottom of our page and check it out and it's very very cheap per month we, we're not one of those like ten dollar a month types so you know, if you want to help us out, we'd love it. We love you. And then we'll give you a shout out. And you can also tell us what to record. I don't think anyone's taken us up on forcing us to record an episode on what they wanted so far. And we have several Patreons who are at that level. Right. That's funny because I know we'd kind of been like, oh, all right, well, here's an option. We can have people tell us what they want to record. And I know, I mean, not that I was hesitant, but I was kind of like, oh, really? And then just nobody did it. So I was like, okay. <laughs> All right. I just didn't want someone, you know. Make Veronica's day. Force Veronica to talk about some shit. Actually, I know that that Dan and Carlo, who have been also rocking this podcast for the majority of the year and last year, and I think the entire time. Mm -hmm. (laughs) uh, You know, if you're wondering where Dan and Carlo are right now, they're taking a well-deserved rest, I'm presuming. I'm presuming they are both asleep in their beds, even though it's like the middle of the afternoon in all of our countries. But um, Um, it is not it's not even 930 in my part of the world. (laughs) Just let me count. (laughs) Yeah, California. Uh, That's not a place. I know that they, when they're doing like cream of the crud, they will ask the crud buddy discord if anyone has any requests. And that's cool. You can still do that. But, you know, you can also email us or tweet at us or Facebook us and tell us or email us and tell us, hey, I want to hear something. And if you're a Patreon, we'll definitely do it. If you're not a Patreon, we'll think about it. Right. (laughs) If it's a good idea, we'll probably steal it but you know but we don't have to give you credit <laughs> like uh-huh, we'll give what? you Where? a little bit we'll say some guy emailed us but anyhow um today we are talking about veronica's topic Ooh, veronica was telling me about how she watched a documentary that really annoyed her <laughs> and it inspired her to come up with a podcast topic and i would love for you to tell that story veronica Sure. So I will just say the name of the documentary. It didn't completely annoy me. uh, But Moments Like This Never Last is the name of the documentary about a graffiti artist, Dash Snow. And what annoyed me, I had said to Jenna, was less the topic of the the subject of the documentary and uh, how it was how people talked about New York City. And there was someone who does this, you know, like, oh, you have to understand. It was the last gasp of real New York and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, we're talking about 20 years ago. We're not even talking about something that was such a long time ago. I was I was surprised at how defensive I got of New York, a, a place that I don't live and don't like that much. Uh, but that I really, I was like. But we're born in. 
yeah, right. I, you know, I was born there, but I really kind of, I like want to tell the person to shut up. I, I, I get sort of flustered with people saying things about like, oh, oh, the city de- is dead. This is dead. This is over. Oh, you know, it'll never be like this again. It'll never. And it, I just kind of have to roll my eyes and be like, well, but cities change, you know? And what do you mean the city's dead? You, your friends have moved. So you think it's over like that one particular scene that you were invested in has kind of fizzled out. So now the whole city is dead. And it kind of got me thinking of what's interesting in cities, what in these two cities that we have both lived uh, for a significant amount of time and that movies get made in with, you know, a pretty common occurrence to have cities that take uh, movies that take place in New York, San Francisco, and what gets highlighted in the city and what kind of gets missed by, by movie makers, by filmmakers. And it just kind of got me thinking about all these movies that even movies I'd said this, and then I kind of couldn't come up with enough examples, like movies that are facsimiles or, you know, where Gotham city is obviously supposed to be like a New York city. Like what gets, what gets brought into a fake version of a city. And honestly, I've had kind of just said this to Jenna before that something that always makes me laugh, it, San Francisco movies don't feature the microclimates. And it's such an interesting thing that wherever Mm. you go in the city, it has a completely different weather pattern, but that doesn't ever come up in movies because it's probably uh, inconvenient to be honest. People are probably like, Oh my God, it's raining in this part of the city. Well, I find that's super interesting to me. I mean, the concept of weather being a part of what makes a city for you. And and yeah, so I've lived in San Francisco for a year, at least after college, which isn't that much, but you know, <laughs> I was there. Right. Um, and I live in, in New York now. And then we both met each other when we were living in London. So, uh, you know, we, we have at least those three big cities that we can speak to a little bit, at least for San Francisco and New York, we can cover but uh, yeah, I mean, this, this is, it's curious because I mean, wh- how do you define a city? I mean, I also get pissed when people talk about the good old days of something that they weren't born right. for, which isn't right. to say that I'm not guilty of that. I mean, my other podcast is about is cinema 60, right? Like all we do is talk about 1960s movies and how they're so good. <laughs> right. Sure. And part of that is of course, having this appreciation for for this decade. But at the same time, I also have studied history and know enough about history that I'm not, I don't, I don't think that the sixties was a better time. Right. There's certain things that I think are great and I wish were still happening. Like fashions and you know i love the all of the music that came out of the 60s is definitely still my favorite decade for music but um that doesn't mean that i want everything right right <laughs> like rampant sexism and etc but in and the same thing goes for cities too i mean like when people talk about new york being dead it's funny because i'm a little more inclined to be empathetic to that mentality but i also don't think that new york was better uh, in the 90s or something but I mean that comes to me that all comes back down to this idea of what makes a city a city so like is it are we talking about the people in the city are we talking about the businesses are we talking about the weather are we talking about the uh, iconic visuals are we just like talking about a place well and it's also what's funny I will say this specifically for San Francisco, and you can kind of tell me if it applies to New York too, but San Francisco, by its history and nature, is a gold rush city. So it has it has a very fluid population. It has people <laughs> in more way than one. It has people <laughs> coming in and leaving in sort of a cyclical, you know, I, I've already been here for, I've been in San Francisco for 10 years now. I have seen a gold rush and I have seen an exodus. I have friends who were living here through the first tech boom and they talk about the same thing. Like, you know, all of a sudden these businesses downtown had chains on their doors, you know, and we're like, oh, sorry, we're out of money. And people flooded out of the city. And, you know, so there is, 
in this city, it does, there is a tendency, you, you watch a population change. And what I have said to a lot of people, because when I moved here, I heard a lot of my older friends being like, oh, this city's dead, Every you know, the scene's dead, everything's dead, blah, blah, blah. And I was kind of like, okay, good, glad I'm here. Hi, guys. <laughs> uh, but at least, you know, like I said, at least it didn't give me this like romanticized version that I was going to hold on to, you know, and I was going to be 45 years old and going like, oh, 2010 was the magical time to be here. You guys don't know, don't know anything about San Francisco. Uh, at least I could be like, hey, it was dead when I moved here. Everybody told me it was dead and over. Great. But what I have said to a lot of people is that like, there's always freaks. There's always freaks and weirdos in a city and weird finds weird. If that's what you want in a city, you just maybe you have to look for it a little now instead of I think people have groups around them. They have a, a niche they carve out. And then when people sort of leave off of that, they go like, oh, this is over. Nobody cool is here anymore because their group left. Well, now you have to look for another one. I understand that can be frustrating, but like it's still there. There's always still going to be a weird underbelly. There's still always going to be sex clubs and weird parties that people are having. And, you know, there's always going to be things happening in a city just because there's also a population that doesn't leave, you know? And I think New York, I know people love to do in San Francisco and I know people love to do this in New York too. be like, I was born here you know, I'm a real New Yorker, I'm a real San Franciscan. And it's like, but the whole point of a city is that people move to it, is that people, not everyone is born there. That's the whole point, is that it, it's a it's a destination. And Okay, you, transplant. <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me, no, I've been I, here for a decade. <laughs> I've been here for a decade now. No, but, I... I totally yeah I mean I I'm I'm with you the 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 point in the in the beauty of a city is that it does have a population that changes and that it reinvents itself continually and I think that you know all I, looking back at all of the movements that were so um attractive to me even in New York City like let's say like the folk movement or even the folk revival movement both of these movements at the time were probably like, well, this shit's dead. So right. <laughs> we're the last Ooh. few people, you know, like here we are bringing it back, you know? And, and so it's just funny to think about all of these things. Uh, you know, there, there's a time where it's in fashion and then it kind of fades and something else replaces it. And to me, I think that the thing that people get caught up in, especially when they get older and they see things change really dramatically the way that it has even more so, I think, in the past few decades than it really did throughout the majority of their lifetime, is that our uh, the way that our country is just corrupting and curdling. Right. So that, you know, and, and the fact that, that landlords are just, I know it's different in San Francisco, but uh, you guys have more protections than, than New York does. But just the way that things have become so hyper inflated and expensive so that people can't you know, keep on just sort of like living for to, to enrich culture. And, right. and that to me is the biggest, you know, like when I think about my nostalgia of New York in the nineties, what I more think about is all of the small, these sort of mom and pop stores that were all immigrant owned and pretty much the vast majority of them had to move to Jersey or they had to like move further into Brooklyn or further into even long Island because they couldn't afford the rent, you know? So it's not that yeah. there's no immigrants in New York. I can't imagine Long <laughs> Island's much cheaper either. Jesus Christ. No, I'm place. sure not. I was thinking more like East New York, you know what I mean? Yeah, like, right. Sure. I, you know, I'm just on that same note. Like, yeah, everything's so – I had a, a very smart friend of mine. She's a doctor. In the beginning of the pandemic had said something about, like, it's going to be devastating for the economy. And my first reaction was to snort and be like, bitch, you don't know anything about the economy. Because I was like, if you think this is going to be devastating for the economy, you haven't been paying attention for the past 15 years. Have you seen the mortality rates in restaurants and small businesses rise? Have you seen like I, I, capitalism is what's, is what's <laughs> devastating to the economy. That's what's been. There was an Onion article that was like, town uh relieved that 
all small businesses closed years before the pandemic, you know? So it's like, (laughs) we've, we've already been seeing this. This has been going on since before the 2008 recession, but then that really hit everything hard and then it never really recovered. And it's the 2008 recession was caused by people being able to cheat the system, you know, to be predatory and hand out loans that they shouldn't have been handing out. There's so to, to be like, Oh, you know, I, I, kindled to what you're saying about these small businesses and that it it is something that like I guess Madonna recently had a quote about how New York was better in the 80s or something like that and she's like there was more energy whatever someone else told me this so like fact check it because I might be wrong about what she said sounds but like I don't think Madonna would say right or I was kind of like yeah that sounds about right and the 80s of all times where I'm kind of like what a terrible decade uh Shut up, Madonna. But where I will at least agree with her is that she's probably right on some level that there was more energy or there felt like there was more life because people could afford. Grace Jones in her documentary talks about Paris in the 70s having more life and more energy and things are quieter now. And isn't that sad? And it's like, well, yeah, but people have to work so hard just to live have you did you see rents in the 80s compared like comparatively have you seen you know we all know the whole minimum wage thing we all know that that's been stagnant for decades like are you really you can't i don't think i don't think the people in the cities necessarily are less interesting or like i just think that people are like ground under the boot of capitalism so badly (laughs) that they can't enjoy themselves and People come home and are just tired. They don't really want to have, uh, they don't have the energy to go out and make stuff in the same same capacity. But I do have to say, I don't feel that way about San Francisco. Well, to your point about, you know, creating things too, I think that that also, it goes to show, I, it's, it's not so much that things aren't being created because I think that's, you know, it, it's called YouTube. Right. <laughs> But the problem now is that we're being driven to create in in more solitary uh, ways because of the fact that there are no public spaces um, for for a lot of this sort of gathering, which I think is partially a fad thing. Like I think that we've moved away because of the computer has everything we need. Don't leave computer. Computer <laughs> loves you. But like you know, it also you know the way that like you and I can can do anything creative is via this goddamn computer. <laughs> well, as a theater person. Well, sure, I, sure. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I also like, I have other outlets for it, but like, it is like, I, I find myself uh, being drawn back to sitting in a room and having to do something that way because there aren't that many spaces to go to in person, which isn't right. to say there are none, but it's there. It's harder and harder to keep them running. You know, even there's yeah. so many theaters that have been closing and, and so many venues that, that have closed that were always super popular. And it's like, well, what happened? Well, they raised her in by like $10,000. Right, right. Yeah, even before the pandemic, I would, you know, I live on a hustle and bustle street in San Francisco and you would walk down some of the, the earlier blocks of the street. By the time you get to where I live, it's, you know, real loud and real packed. But some of the the far blocks and the beginning blocks, I guess, of the street, there would be empty storefront after empty storefront after empty storefront. And it blew my mind that in such a prime location, these places could sit empty, that they were like allowed to sit empty because people get it's, you know, it's a tax write off, whatever, however the loophole works. But you know, that's, that's insane to me that that that's even allowed that that is considered a better option than to have like a healthy thriving city where storefronts aren't sitting empty and people, you know, do have these communal spaces and do have, and there, I, it does seem like there's a decent amount of those in San Francisco. We've also seen people throughout this whole thing, uh, the pandemic really rally around certain spaces, uh, though, my clubhouse oasis sf really had people pull together because people were like well we need this space 
like this is a, an important space for us. And there was a fundraiser. They raised over, uh, it was like a quarter of a million. I do, I, I understand and agree with what you're saying. I could see New York also because it's so condensed and because it is so expensive, so consistently expensive, you know, San Francisco sort of ebbs and flows. I think we, my dad and I were talking about this, that when rent prices kind of dropped in some of these cities during the pandemic, that it didn't even occur to people that rents in New York could go down. Like we in San Francisco know things kind of rise and fall, rise and fall. We see the gold rush and uh, but I think people just go like New York is what it is. It's expensive. It is what it is. And then when people are, you know, leaving, <laughs> they're flooding out of it and rents are kind of going down. People are like, oh, that's amazing. But don't worry. Was- they're, they're way back up again. <laughs> oh, okay, good. Just <laughs> making sure. Well, you know, so we, we've been talking for a minute here. So I want to bring it around to movies. Finally. Sure. <laughs> Um, to your point, though, about, you know, spaces and, and places, you know, it, it also just makes me think, and, and, and of course, every, co- sort of compounding all of this, one of the things that New York does uh, and has been doing in a, in a uh, really intense way in the last couple decades has been this, this constant development, uh, sometimes necessary because you have some, you know, crumbling house with structure. What are you going to do? But other times, I mean, really recently, there's this historic, it's a, it's on the, the registry of New York landmarks, this place called Grand Prospect Hall, which is in Park Slope, Brooklyn. And it's this kind of wonderful, you have to watch the commercial for it. If like, just look, Google Grand Prospect oh, Hall. Oh, wait a minute. On it's YouTube. the one they did a an SNL spoof. Yes. Right. Yes. It, I saw. It's very much like, but this place is ridiculous. It's this literally like the super like Rococo looking uh, party hall. And it's, it was built in the early 1900s. It apparently has the, the oldest uh, elevator that was in Brooklyn. And the the guy died uh, from COVID last year. His widow just sold the place out from under every single employee oh, to geez. the tune of $30 million. Uh, like one of these, uh, apparently that people were saying, can I, hey, can I book this venue? And everyone was like, sure. And then the next day they called like, uh, actually, like. Oh, my God. And then it got sold to some shitty developer And they started to gut the place immediately, even before getting permission uh, to do so because of, you know, these guys don't give a shit. Were they going to get slapped on the wrist for a couple thousand? Oh, you gave me a fine. Oh, no. Yeah, exactly. I just spent 30 mil. Exactly. So, you know, and so the the neighborhood ended up rallying and set by teenagers uh, started this, too rallying to say at least save the facade at this point like this is insane yeah and so you know the the to me like and all of this is to say that that to me one of the 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 biggest um parts of what makes a city is the history of that city so when you see these things getting gutted in real life uh and in front of you and you see that just visually the whole skyline changing um which is inevitable but it's also like sometimes just unnecessary i mean like you can also go on a different uh, there's too many rabbit holes for me to go on with right. rent because it can be like talking about just all of the empty uh, luxury condos that yeah. are in this city i think there's yeah. some there was a great article about like how new york from the 50th floor up is a ghost town but anyhow there was you know and said sort of a similar note there was something a couple of years ago about london like one of the uh sort of most central parts of london is empty as far as like people should be living there but all these russians it sounds like would buy (laughs) you know these big huge condos (laughs) and that's it and they would sit empty yeah because it's a place to keep your money that you don't lose right you know it's a a better investment than uh, the stock market but yeah so i mean so to go back to this idea of nostalgia and, and especially movies is that you know a lot of the time like i will watch older films and part of what i really love about them is just seeing what new york looked like at the time right so you know like the it's one of I, I'm trying. I know I have better examples of this, but one of the weirder examples I can think of is this movie. It should happen to you, which is from '54 with Judy Holiday, uh, and it's this. It's a cute comedy. Jack Lemmon's in it. It's it's essentially about becoming a reality star. She puts up a billboard with her name, 
and then becomes famous just because she put this billboard up in Columbus Circle. Huh. And it's very, it's very cute, very funny. You should totally watch it. But to watch, to to see this movie from 1954 and see what Columbus Circle looked like back then is insane. Yeah, <laughs> it doesn't look anything like that anymore. And I mean, even the there's this big ugly glass mall. So to see what New York even looked like in the 50s, it to me already tugs this like bizarre nostalgia that I clearly don't even have. Right. <laughs> I wasn't born in the 50s. But, you know, to see sort of like what's changed and what hasn't changed. Like, I love looking at older movies and, and you know, thinking about New York in that way. And in the same way, too, like I love the the sweet smell of success is, you know, such a classic to me, a classic New York movie with uh, Burt Lancaster and Tony Curtis. This is also it's it's a movie that's really, you know, this is also from the 50s, uh, later 50s. And and this is like, a, this is an, I don't know, noir, right? It's about journalists and, and, you know, tabloids. And, you know, a lot of it takes place in rooms and, and clubs and things like that. But there's just so many, I mean, that movie, especially, there's this great line where Burt Lancaster, I mean, they're in 21 Club, which is now also closed during the pandemic, but also this sort of New York institution, uh, and especially in these older films, it's amazing to see how much has changed in this, this like restaurant that's now like, it started off as a speakeasy in like twenties and, you know, now has become this like hyper, you, it's like one of the last places in New York, you have to wear a, a suit uh, oh, to, fun. <laughs> to enter. Like they, like they will make you wear a blazer. I think they right. remove the tie restriction, but like you have to wear a blazer. But, um, you know, and it's so it's just it, it's this place that still exists and it still looks very much the same. Like, you know, at least the the table layouts are the same, <laughs> you know, and things like that. So it's just it, it's just fun to like see like that. And then there's this great scene where, where uh, Burt Lancaster steps out and he goes like, I love this dirty town, you know. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. And you're like, yeah, like, yeah, New York. But, you know, like it is. Is the the beauty of New York uh, a dirtiness or is that to me, it's not like I'm, I'm not nostalgic for like more crime. I'm nostalgic for uh, something that's realer. Sure. And I, I think that, you know, we're talking about like the nature of cities. And I think on some level, and I don't know if maybe this is just because, you know, I grew up in the shadow of New York City. Uh, so that that really shaped a lot of my ideas of what a city is supposed to be. But I do kind of think that there should be some level of dirt and grit to a city. I think if a city was too clean um, and like too streamlined, I, I just wouldn't know what to do with myself. Uh, I like San Francisco is really visually very beautiful it has a lot of color and it has these fog and rolling hills and but it's still dirty you know it's still a city uh still has that kind of like you know oh right there's homeless people and there's you know crazy people and there's gonna be trash because that's also just kind of what happens when a lot of humans live in a small area condensed together it's funny to to hear you say stuff about like nostalgia for a time or like a place you you weren't at because I can absolutely understand that when watching movies I sometimes will watch older movies filmed in New York and be like oh yeah I could live in New York and it's like well I could live you know like when we were in the Lower East Side and I was like I could live here I could live in this one spot here, but I don't know if I could live in like a scraping by existence in New York. I think that would turn me bitter and angry. My scraping by existence in San Francisco was pretty beneficial uh, and I was able to figure stuff out. I don't know if I could do that in New York just because it's so much and it's, you know, it, hard to, it's, it felt to me, at least for the brief period of time I lived in New York City, that it was hard to get outside your apartment without spending money. You know, the, and at least it was summertime, so I could go to parks. But yeah. there, there is a lot of like open space in San Francisco. Uh, just because it's California, we really love our green places. Um, and it's 
never that cold, so you can always you can always at least go outside. Uh, but yeah, like I, I don't. I sometimes I understand that feeling of like having nostalgia for for a time where you didn't exist because I can absolutely see that with New York. I do have to. I I had sort of two movies in regards to San Francisco that I think are sort of a funny, uh, you know, there's so many decades between them, but Petulia, which you know, I love yes. so very, very much. And that's what I was going to bring up. Yes. San Francisco. Yes. And it, cause I also think I wasn't alive at the time that Petulia was made. And it's supposed to be for those of you who haven't seen it, pause this right now and go watch it. Cause it's hysterical. Uh, George C. Scott really was an underrated comedic actor. I think he's so good at comedy, but he just never really was given given enough comedic roles. I'll say, you say this movie is hysterical. It's directed by Richard Lester, so he he did do hard sort days. of comedic, yeah. Uh, yeah, Hard Days Night, which I, which would be actually one of my London films, which is uh, I think actually questionably tourist of me, but um, sure. Uh, with Julie Christie and George C. Scott, this movie is it is funny, but it is very depressing. But it is very whimsical in how it approaches. It's like really horrific, right? And <laughs> it's it's kind of about it's sort of about the breakdown of the social revolution. It's like the you know the years where it isn't this idealistic hippie movement anymore. It's people you know, eating their groceries online to pay for them, then being like, I love you, man, but I can't pay, you know, like just kind of the, the dregs of, of a, you know, a beautiful social revolution. And now just kind of being the people left behind who were kind of shitty and kind of self-involved and, you know, giving, which is arguably very reflective of a lot of these movements, you know, like right. we get, of course, these very idealized visions of, of what this, the hippie movement was, which isn't to say that there wasn't some really genuinely great stuff that came out of that, but you know, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't like peace and love. Right. There's, yeah. There's always, you know, there's, even if the a majority, let's say, I'm I'm not even saying this as if it's a historical fact, but let's just say even if a majority of the people really lived and believed the mantra of the time and, you know, the the sort of ambiguous moral code of the time, uh, there's always gonna be opportunists, right? There's always gonna be people who like there's sex and drugs and people are giving away stuff for free and I shouldn't have to pay. Like there's always going to be those people. And that's kind of what Petulia not centers on because it centers on Julie Christie's character. Um, but it has that kind of all happening in the background. Even one of my favorite scenes is George C. Scott running up to these two guys to asking for help basically. And he's like, well, can you go get the police? And the one guy kind of very naturalistically laughs and is like, nah, I don't think so. <laughs> and it's, a, it's so funny because he's like, nah, no, nah, we're not going to do that. We're just going to keep walking. But uh, comparing that to a movie like L the last black man in San Francisco, which it's decades apart, but they both have a very dreamlike quality. And there is kind of this idea and I, I see it myself and you know some of my friends joke like well you're just having an acid flashback but like there are these times in San Francisco that you're just struck by how fantastical it seems and how almost surreal it seems it like the fog will roll in and the light pollution turns the fog pink and the sky will be just lit up pink and you're, you know, I am high a lot of the time, so I'm not saying <laughs> that like, you know, but like it is, there's color everywhere. And the Golden Gate there Bridge is. is fucking red, you know, we're the only city in the world that's like, well, we're going to have this big, huge, giant bridge. Let's make it red. Everywhere else is just like, let's make it the color of a, of a bridge. Let's just make it chrome. And, you know, and we're like, no, red, red, everyone, you know, and then. Even the flowers in San Francisco are really surreal. Oh, the California poppies? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. They grow everywhere. They're just they're growing out of the sidewalks. There's trees everywhere. Sometimes you'll be, you know, I have gotten lost in, there's a place called Glen Park Canyons, 
and all of a sudden you're just in a canyon. It looks like something out of Jurassic Park, you know? You have these big, huge redwoods. You have these big, the fog weaving through these, like, gigantic trees that dwarf you, where you really are staring up at them being like, these things are hundreds and hundreds of years old, and they're just here in the middle of the city. Uh, you know, the there's it's a peninsula you know so there's beaches everywhere there's there's really all these like magical sites and then you're going like in 49 square miles you know there's a, a right you can just like walk you can like oh, yeah be at a beach and then be in the fog and then yeah. be next to like massive dinosaur plants right you can be like at <laughs> be ocean, in downtown city and like ocean beach you can turn around and it looks like houses are growing out of the dunes you know and you can see sutro tower or you can be at a place like aquatic park and if you're like me and you enjoy swimming out into the bay where you know you're eventually gonna die uh you know i've swum out with someone like going towards Alcatraz and then we turn around and look back at the shore and it's like there's a beach and then there's a city there's Ghirardelli Square right there there's Buena Vista Cafe you know where you really like it's just such a funny juxtaposition to be so immersed in in nature I mean I'm trying to think of a San Francisco movie that really showcases that um what you're describing because i know exactly what you're talking about and like the the first thing that comes to my mind but it's not even a great example would be bullet <laughs> but bullet i only like because it showcases just how goddamn tall the hills are and there's also a really good like it, I, I like that it gets those sort of inner like the in-between uh neighborhoods it's only a pretty mm -hmm. specific area of san francisco it's just like knob hill basically but like I, I do like that they give you like those giant mansions they give you like the basically on the way down from the hill you get like the that what's that uh, embarcadero oh yeah and then you get this actually like just like going towards Oakland, I think, or some like it's it's something outside of the city. It's like a good 101 right. for like being in San Francisco. But like you don't really like you don't get that diversity, though. Right. What I do like about Bullet that doesn't really have to do with San Francisco, but how we're always told like Steve McQueen is kind of the height of masculinity. And he spends so much of that movie in like comfy sweaters but i'm like oh okay look at how cozy you look steve you seem pretty relaxed great. oh yeah no i love but he's you know i'm always like oh he's a little more he's he's a little more even keeled than you know you would think when people are like yeah steve mcqueen so badass i'm like yeah he's kind of relaxed he's kind of he's wearing sweaters and uh being polite so that's which fine. is which is very san francisco like his vibe i think to me like definitely sums up a, a san francisco-ness and, and his apartment with like the um the uh the refrigerator in the hallway or yeah whatever, like you know that's sort of like these weird little spaces and nooks and crannies like it's it's, it's not the a full picture of course it's very much of like white masculine 60s right right <laughs> you know sporty kind of idealized vision but um but it's definitely as cool as hell the movies fly as shit <laughs> so i will say that i think uh a san francisco movie that people forget about that i i think does a good job sort of showing it as a place where people live and exist and all that is fearless have you ever seen fearless I feel like no. you might not have just, yeah, because it's... Because it's scary? <laughs> it's not. Okay, 93. Because I was like, I can't, I'm pretty sure it oh, came out in the why. 90s. Um, yeah, that's why I was like, Jenna hasn't seen this. It's an airplane movie. It's not. It's these people who survive a plane crash. Jeff Bridges is the oh, main Oh, Peter guy. Weir directed it. Sure. <laughs> I was <laughs> like, yeah. Rosalini, Rosie Perez, and Jeff Bridges are in it. Yeah, and John Leguizamo is there too. There's like a lot of sort of rising stars in it. Uh, Tom Hulse, yeah, he was not a rising star at that time, but like there's a lot of familiar faces. Um, and that one, funnily enough, I it still doesn't do the microclimates, but it does a lot of like, it'll be a beautiful day in one shot and then it'll be the same day and it's pouring rain and it's like okay mm. there we go that does feel like san francisco uh but there are more there's a lot of like people in neighborhoods people sitting on steps and talking outside and you know uh 
Rosie Perez and Jeff Bridges were in a plane crash together. They don't know each other. They meet over their shared trauma. And Rosie Perez had been like holding her baby in her arms and the baby died. And so she's like really devastated. And her and Jeff Bridges like bond over this really, you know, really, really horrific incident. Uh, But they do have, they go to a lot of different places in the city that if you live here, you're kind of like, oh yeah, that's, that's the Westfield mall, you know, places where you're not really going to go as a tourist because who the hell is going to go to a mall, you know, go, you're going to go somewhere more interesting, but oh yeah, that's that grocery store. That's, you know, you start to, I think it doesn't a better job than even something like Tales of the City which to me always kind of felt like it was being shot on a soundstage because it very well could have been. Um, but I'm, I'm speaking of the older one. I don't know anything about the new tales of the city. Um, but- when you say like nobody would go to a mall as a tourist, I'm like, Oh, sweet summer child. The, um, but you're reminding me too, like, you know, one of the movies that people love to talk about when they talk about New York city is when Harry met Sally. Sure. And I feel like that movie doesn't capture New York at all. Yeah, I haven't seen it in a while, but I guess I just remember it them being in the diner. And I always thought it was that diner that like everything's filmed in, the one that's in LA, but I guess I don't know. Well, you know, the thing is, they do a lot of like beats of like places in New York, but it's like this big, empty, weird New York City. It just doesn't look familiar, you know, like it sort of takes place there. And like, you know, it it, it has it's charming. It has its moments. Uh, I don't love it, obviously. Right. But, um, you know, it doesn't it it misses like just there's no one else in the city except for them. You know, I mean, it it doesn't you don't ever really get a real sense of what's happening. And, And like And that's where, that's when I like then go back to the cliche of like 70s New York. You know what I mean? Like, because that's when like I think about, like I just watched um, Little Murders, which was amazing. Yeah, I haven't heard of that one. Oh man, it's from 1971 and it was directed by Alan Arkin. Oh. And it's written by Jules Pfeiffer. And so it stars Elliot Gould and it has an Alan Arkin's in it and, and, uh, uh, Marcia Rod and and uh, Vincent Gardenia and uh, like uh, Donald Sutherland is a reverend and he performs the absolute greatest speech at a wedding I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> I'd believe it. Oh my god, it's so good. Uh, but this movie's amazing. It's this very like you know it, it was a play that Jules Pfeiffer wrote in the late '60s, so it's about that same souring of uh, you know this is like right after everyone was assassinated right 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 in the late 60s and and like things are getting rough and people are feeling just depressed and and totally like uh unsure of what's even happening and so it's very very nihilistic and at the same time like by the time they made this movie it's like to me it it, it totally captures like at least from what i've seen of of every all media that's come out of this early 70s like it captures that feeling of just like loss and confusion and nihilism but it also like really captures like a very like new york attitude of like that's what happens dude suck it up gotta go you know it's like that kind of like um like there's this amazing scene where like i won't i won't spoil it but like there's a scene where elliot gould is covered in blood and he, after something, uh, something traumatic happened to him, obviously. Sure. And he just like goes on the subway and there's just like amazing scene where it's just him covered in blood, you know, a blood splatter. It's not, it's clearly not his blood, uh, you know, just standing on the subway looking for like a seat and like nobody wants to make eye contact with him, but nobody's <laughs> like flinching. Right. And then he gets off the subway and he's walking up the subway stairs. And it's just like all you can hear is the humming of like a light and the and like, you know, just the the general roar of the subway. And as he's sort of staggering in a daze up the subway stairs, this man comes in the opposite direction down the stairs with like a gaping head wound and just like passes him on the right. stairs in a daze. And they just don't, nothing said, you never know who that guy was. You, you just sort of like keep like two ships in the night kind of situation. Sure. And it's just, it's so perfect because it just really, you know, obviously that's not what New York is like all the time, 
but I don't know a single person who's lived in New York who hasn't been like, well, there's some blood, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. And, and the idea of like living in a city and sort, sort of having to have like a filter on just so that you don't go crazy. So you, like, you do have to kind of, I know the Kitty Genovese story is actually kind of bullshit, right? But like, you know, the idea of someone getting stabbed to death and like nobody, nobody helped. It's not actually, it has kind of been morphed into an urban legend. It didn't really happen the way it's made out to be. Um, morphed into an urban legend in a great Phil Oaks song outside of a small circle of friends. Google it. <laughs> yeah. But in the, uh, in that same idea, you do kind of, there was a, a woman screaming outside last night who was obviously not in distress. She was calling her boyfriend a fucking idiot or calling some dude. But it was like, you know, going on for 10 minutes. I was almost like, you need to shut up. I'm sure he's an <laughs> idiot. I'm not denying that. But like, you need to shut up. But sometimes when you live in a city, you do have to have some, it's it's self-preservation. You do kind of have to have a, a a layer of uh, you know blinders almost where you're just kind of like I can't I can't help every person here I can't give a dollar to every person who asks me I can't look at every person with a gaping head wound if that guy's covered in blood I just have to ignore him you know cause there's just everything there's so much going on there's so many people that you just you know like all right um, and I do well, think that's a soul of a city in a way. I don't even mean that in a bad way. I I mean that like you do that's you have to learn how to live in a city. You have to learn right. how to not let it drive you crazy. You know, which is exactly when pe- when I never understand when people say New York is mean because I never I've never experienced New York being mean. It can be aggressive, but right. like I, I feel that it's more that people don't have time. So if you're going to like stand in the middle of the street and wonder aloud where something is, like, I don't have fucking time to deal with you. Right. <laughs> Yet, if you'd like turn around and you're like, excuse me, and this is, happens to me all the time where I have to take about 10 more steps before I realize they even said something to me. Right. At which point I turn around and look at them and go, what? <laughs> what do you want? <laughs> you know, and, and usually I'll, I'll do my best to help them if I can. But, you know, I, I've also been like, this is also like people that will stop you in the street. This has happened to me. Some guy goes, excuse me you know, and like stops me dead. I'm like, and I like fucking power walk, man. He stops me dead in the street. He says, excuse me, do you know how to get to smile? And I'm like, what? Like I'm sitting here racking my brain. Is that like a store? Is this some yeah, trendy like, shit? He's smile. like, smile. He's like, you know, between your nose and your chin. Ugh. And I was like, ah, and like just. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like either you're going to get stopped because someone's a, a, a freak or you're going to get stopped because somebody just like wants to get to Houston street. Right. Instead of Houston. But, you know, that that reminds me, too, of another great New York movie, which barely even leaves an apartment. But The Prisoner of Second Avenue, which is a Neil, a, another play, Neil Simon play with Jack Lemmon and Anne Bancroft. And this is like, to me, another perfect. It's a perfect New York City movie, because even though he barely gets out into the city, there's like one scene where he tackles. Um, I think it's like Sly Stallone. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Who, who has like a cameo, basically, is like a thug. But, um, you know, he... He's just going through a mental breakdown and it's so much of this movie is him in his apartment pacing this apartment and or being out on the balcony and screaming at people while, you know, he's completely stuck in this tiny box. And that is also so much of what the fabric of what makes up the city. It's like, as you're saying, like you have to learn how to deal with it or you lose your shit. Yeah. You know, you lose your shit and you have this moment, which I think is really what this movie is about, is that like Jack Lemmon loses his shit. And by the end, his wife uh, and Bancroft loses her shit. And then, the, the you know, it's like the the tables are turned. He has to now support her. And and, and so, you know, there that that's that's definitely, you know, you can't live with this many people with this much pressure, you know, with <laughs> this much like noise and not you know, just, just get to the point where, as you said, you have to have self-preservation. Like you have to just tune out some of it. Yeah. And it's funny that you bring up that, like, Oh, how do you get to smile? Uh, cause a friend of mine who I told him, I told him like, I'm not going to be friends with you if you ever move to Manhattan again, because he doesn't know how to live in this. He, he would let everything get to him. He would let everything drive him crazy. Um, and I had sort of, I had sort of realized when speaking to him that, there is a, a sad gift in being a woman in that you already sort of are used to just like 
walking past people trying to get your attention, you know, (laughs) where you're already so used to just kind of being like, that person's just trying to talk to me because they're, you know, just trying to be a pain in the ass dude. I'm just going to keep going where he would actually be like, everybody's asking me for cigarettes. Everybody's asking me for money. Everyone's like, then just keep walking. Pretend you didn't hear them. They're not going to follow you. You know, they're just, they're sitting on the sidewalk. Like, trust me, they're not going to get up and chase you down for a cigarette. They're asking every smoker who walks past if they have a cigarette. Like, you know, when when you're a woman, especially living in a city, you're just so used to being like, not paying attention, not listening to you. And I have male friends here who talk about like, oh yeah, I saw someone I knew and I was trying to make eye contact with her and wave to her, but she like didn't even look at me. And I was like, yeah, you don't, have you seen Mandy? Do you know what happens to women when we accidentally make eye contact with someone? Right. They show up at our house. <laughs> they try to indoctrinate us into their cults and then they burn us alive. Happens all right. the time. Yeah. Well, no, that's funny. Actually, you're making me think of too another of of my like New York has changed stories is, you know, being on the subway growing up after a certain hour, it was always a creepy place. Right. And, you know, and that's that was through experience, not just like, you know, my mom told me, but my mom also told me like, you know, two things they can both be. But I just remember too, like the being um, on the subway in like the early like the the mid 2000s let's say because 9-11 was its own thing and everyone was very friendly for a little bit bit. Mm -hmm. but um you know after let's say 12 a.m you know the subway got creepy and then during like the 2010s as everything started to get more and more gentrified it turned from like you know coming home late drunk uh, in like, you know, maybe closing my eyes on the, on the subway, like some, this, this person came up to me at one point and like, you know, taps me and immediately, and I wasn't even like asleep so much as I was just like drunk and closing my eyes, right uh, you know, and I'm, and I'm like, you know, look at them like what? And I realize okay, this is like some, some other like woman. And she goes, excuse me, is this your stop? And I look around and I'm like, nope. And she's like, oh, okay. I just wanted to make sure you were okay. And like leaves. And I was like, what the fuck? Like, do you want my wallet? Right. <laughs> what? Like, well, who does that? Like, that's so nice. Like, yeah. <laughs> so it was this weird, like, you know, that was like part of that, like, Disneyfication in my mind of, of what was happening to the city. And of course, I would much prefer that happening to me than like someone trying to steal my wallet. Yeah. Right. You know, like that. So I'm not like nostalgic for like being, uh, you know, afraid, like you know, or, or having to be on all the time and having to be defensive all the time. Like I've certainly like had my share of, uh, you know, changing subway cars or straight up confronting somebody on the subway who was trying to be a creep. So it's like, you know, and it's, and it's nerve wracking because you're, you're alone on a movie. Car. No right. one's going to help. Right. Like it's me and the guy bleeding one from his head and this creep, you know? Like, oh my God. This is a, this is a side note, but after we hung out in August, uh, got on, you know, got on a train, heading to Penn Station. The train I was on, like the car I was on, first of all, no AC or very, very weak AC. Three different people playing music out of their phones. Nobody or very few people. It was a pretty packed car. Not a lot of masks. A lot of people like kind of jumping around. There was a lot of younger, you know, teens and early 20s type so like whatever they're supposed to be kind of crazy but it was just like it was so much insanity in one car I got off at the next stop and got on another train (laughs) so I was like oh god here comes one of those new it was a new a train and it had ac and there was two other people in the car with me and I was like oh thank god I was like I can't even be in this on this car in this train anymore it's so crazy everyone's so crazy it's so hot and everyone's psychotic. So yeah, I, I understand that feeling. And that I I do, I mean, it's hard to kind of make a statement like I think people are in cities are kind of getting nicer or getting more helpful. But I, I do think there is something to the idea of like people realizing we're a little more interconnected now and... uh I've never really had that feeling with New York that New Yorkers were mean. A lot of people I've spoken to who 
were tourists in New York even kind of said the same thing where they were like, New Yorkers were very helpful when I needed directions. They gave me directions. They, you know, I have a, a story from a friend of mine who he grew up in LA and when he and his mom visited New York, there was, you know, they're standing on the the sidewalk waiting at a crosswalk or whatever. And they kind of hear someone honking their horn all crazy. They think it's for them. They look over and there's some guy hanging out the window talking to another car and he goes, Hey asshole, your lights are off. And it just (laughs) when he said it, I just moved to Santa Cruz and I was like hysterically laughing. I was like, Oh my God, Bella, you're making me homesick. Cause that's like, that's, kind of new york in a nutshell where he's like i'm trying to be helpful you dipshit like turn on your lights and it is that level of you know as you said aggression there is this kind of like people come at things fast and hard but they are trying to help you (laughs) (laughs) hey get over here you know i've heard people yell like no 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 no, don't cross now you know like to to a stranger but being like no you're doing something stupid don't do that I I literally I I've done I've done that so many I yelled at a truck once I was like this is a one way right <laughs> he's like no it's not I'm like oh fuck you man look it's right there some other guy in a car comes by and goes yeah it is <laughs> <laughs> yeah no, no. as he like goes past <laughs> I was like told you you know keep watch Jay walk in front of him um you know so we've we've gone on for a little bit here so I'm gonna we try sure and- have <laughs> um. You know, it also, you know, I think one of the best when when I think about all of this and all of these little interactions that also to me is really how I would define a, a city and, and the things that I get nostalgic for. Um, I think that um, uh, Crossing Delancey really gets it. I have not seen that one. You would actually, I think, really like it. And I think you should watch it. Let me. It's it's uh, Joan Micklin Silver movie with Amy Irving and Peter Reichart. And it's, it's sort of like the way that I can describe it is that it's like a, like an old Jewish grandmother's like fantasy of like pairing her granddaughter up with a nice Jewish boy. Sure. But it's really like, really, I think this, the film is this love letter to New York city. And there's this really great scene that's really emotional. And, and it's emotional. Cause like, you know, the main character gets, uh, she breaks up with, with a boyfriend uh, and she ends up in Grey's Papaya, which is like, to me also just like a total staple of, of New York. And um, this like really weird, like older woman who looks like she hasn't like changed her clothing since the 1930s comes in and just starts singing some enchanted evening. (laughs) And like, you know, it's like, everyone's like looking to get a hot dog or whatever. And like everyone stops and like turns and like listens to her and then you see uh, Amy Irving, like, you know, suddenly she has tears in her eyes. And, you know, you can say that this is something that's like in the moment, it feels like it feels like it's because like this is just more important. You know, it's like here here's the thing that comes by that really just like calcifies, like why you're even in this city and like, you know, what makes the city beautiful is these like tiny moments that are like you know, you can be alone and still have this like moment of romance. Right. And it, and it's not even, it's like with a crazy lady and raised papaya, you know what I mean? Right. And, and I think that that's the kind of stuff that really is, is how like I sort of measure a realness. Like there has to be that level of, of like grit and sadness because life is just like fucking miserable. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I definitely understand what you're saying because I have always – I'm someone who's had a lot of like funny moments with strangers and one of like, I I know I've talked about when I went to go see the birds at the Castro and it was the first time where I was like, this is supposed to be a comedy. This is supposed to be like a feminist black comedy and having these like belly laughs with people. I don't, I'm just sitting next to someone, you know, and you kind of keep like making eye contact because you can't believe how hard you're laughing. And just, I think also movies being that, communal experience um which i'm glad people are returning to i i think i had said this about movie pass that you know that now defunct r.i.p uh movie pass is like that that now defunct scam that like actually benefited the little guy instead of the (laughs) right and like the funniest part about it where i was like they read the data wrong or something like i don't even know how to they 
I think those the people who made movie it was a path, Ponzi scheme in the opposite direction, right? And I think they also really <laughs> thought that people didn't want to go to the movies, and that's not true. People just didn't want to pay sixteen bucks. You know, once it was ten dollars and you could go as much as you wanted, people were like, "We're going to the movies. Here right. we go, la la la." Yeah, you know, it's like, well, that's so it kind of proved people do like these. At a time when everyone was like, nobody wants to leave their house. We'd rather just watch movies at home. It's like, no, no, no. People do like going to these big communal showings. They just don't have the money for it. Nobody can justify spending that much. But that's one of the things that I do really love in San Francisco is that the the theaters are very important. And you have places like the Roxy and the Castro and the Alamo and these places that do events, you know, where it's the 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 Alamo does these uh, movie mystery mystery movie marathons. It's basically just like, all right, we're showing Wesley Snipes movies. We're showing Winona Ryder movies. We're showing, you know, you don't know what movie is going to play, but they're going to play four of them. And you're there all day, you know, and it's, it's a whole big event. You kind of duck out to smoke and run back in and, or I duck out to smoke and run back in. And uh, so it's, I, I've had a lot of, moments with strangers where you're just me and a kid one time were hysterically laughing because an old man's pants fell down (laughs) (laughs) i was trying to hold it together so badly and i looked down and this kid is like clearly looking at me because he was like oh my god there's one other adult here who sees and like his face is really tight like his mouth is pushed together like he's trying so hard not to laugh and i lost it and so then we're both just like hysterically laughing it's like oh his pants fell down oh like that those kind of really terrible for that guy (laughs) someone rushed over really fast and was kind of pulling him back up but i was like oh my god i felt so bad (laughs) this is like years ago now but i like just remember it so clearly because i was like don't laugh don't laugh don't laugh and my eyes land on this kid and you the kid is like you know (laughs) kid's like i'm trying not to laugh but it's gonna happen i was like yeah it is (laughs) let's just all right let's just laugh and keep walking uh but that you know yeah it's like (laughs) these momentary interactions or people will sometimes in like the smaller side streets when you're getting ready to jaywalk and i wait i'm not people dart in front of cars here it makes me very nervous but i'll sort of like be waiting for a car to pass and the driver will stop and like wave me through even though I'm not at a crosswalk and like waving to them you know these kind of like little interactions with people that you're never going to see again you're just kind of like oh all right well that was nice of you again it's like I don't know if I want to make a statement like I think cities are getting Cagney please I don't know if I want to say that cities are getting softer I don't know if that's necessarily true or if that we are kind of coming to a point as like just a species as you know the human race of being like we maybe we need to be a little bit more considerate of each other maybe that will make everybody a little bit happier and will make everything run a little faster uh run a little smoother some of this is also you know i i am lucky enough to live in a city that for the past year and a half has been fairly considerate of each other and uh, to a point where it's almost like too much, you know, where people give you weird looks if you weren't wearing a mask outside. And I was like, relax, I'm a hero. I work at Whole Foods. You have to be nice to me. <laughs> That's I'm on the front lines. But so I, I could imagine that maybe my pers- perspective would be different if I was living in a place where like, you know, people were getting punched in the face for telling someone they need to put a mask on. Uh, I think you're you're it's funny because I feel like you're you're much more optimistic than I am. I feel like we're we're just headed for basically a, another great depression at this point. So I think we're going to see a lot more anger spilling out into the streets, which we already are seeing in a lot of ways. But um I would love to hear if you have one last movie that you think either sums up New York or sums up San Francisco or both. Um both would be well, I mean, like two change. examples, not not right, the same right. city. <laughs> um, I guess I'm like a movie that uh, really handles San Francisco very well, and again, it, it's like something that makes me nostalgic for a time that I didn't exist. Uh, but Diary of a Teenage Girl. Oh and, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think because it is based on someone's you know memoir or graphic novel, because it is someone's story that it does go into 
a, a more residential part. I don't even mean like neighborhood. I just mean like someone who lives here has a different experience than someone who is just here for a year for a job or someone who's just in visiting or just here for a couple of months and someone who grew up here and watching someone in a, a almost a, a lawless time because it does take place in the 70s and like you know you could drink at 18 so she was going to the bar with her mother's boyfriend when she was 15 you know or you're kind of like that's bananas but again it's a good like companion movie to Petulia because it's like well what happens yeah. after we've thrown out all the rules and we're trying to make our own new rules and people are trying not to you know they don't want to be their parents they don't want to be too tough and hard on their kids it's like well but then this is what's happening then this this might be you know your kid might be sleeping with your boyfriend because you you let a real winner into your household like that's you know maybe maybe some of these rules do need to be in place ah, please cat ah, my god cagney <laughs> jesus <laughs> christ oh stepped right on my chest uh, so I would say that one. That would be my last. What about you, Cagney? You got another San Francisco movie? No? You just want to rub your face into my microphone? All right. Well, thank you, Veronica. This was this was an enlightening... You, you made me think. And <laughs> okay. Even though we didn't even talk about movies for half of it. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I think that's kind of the magic of our, specifically you and my podcast, is that we kind of... They're they're a living, breathing creature. You know, they do what they want. Yeah, we're basically, we're bringing the city into your ears by yelling at you about shit that has nothing to do with what you actually tuned in for. Right. And we're telling you about, like, how things should be. This is really performance art, guys. You should appreciate <laughs> it as such. <laughs>